Raising Joyful Children in an Angry World, a podcast dedicated to faithful parents navigating their families through a stormy culture. Welcome back to Raising Joyful Children in an Angry World. I'm your host, Paul Osborne. Well, you've probably heard this saying, what does not kill you makes you stronger. But what if I were to tell you, it's not an invention of American pop culture, at least not its origins. Not of Kelly Clarkson, who famously sang that song, or all the American movies that have quoted it. But its origins are in the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, who was a nihilistic philosopher in Germany in the late 19th century. And Nietzsche claimed that God is dead, and we killed him. He believed that Christianity had just sort of outlived its usefulness. He believed things like morals and truth, and they didn't really exist. They weren't a reality. They were creations of man. He believed Christianity was not only baseless, but actually harmful. I just had a friend of mine in a conversation a while back espousing Nietzsche, where this belief is was, you know, back in the days when there were barbarians attacking Rome, those barbarian times, sure, religion was needed, but now that we've advanced, it, it's lost its usefulness. And this is where Nietzsche was. And what's interesting about him is that he was widely read in the late 19th century. And there's a lot written about how in the world did a country like Germany that was mainly Lutheran and Catholic follow a madman like Hitler into one of the most barbaric, we might call born-again barbaric, generations of all time? Well, I think you have to consider Nietzsche and his nihilistic philosophy that was well-read within Nazi Germany prior to those events. Well, in America, we tend to take a philosophy like this and we rebrand it. We mix a little bit of maybe narcissism, a little bit of self-motivation in this, and we come up with resilience. You know, you've been in a bad relationship, and, but now you're stronger. It's a theme of many pop songs. And, and then we remarket it. I mean, you watch any sporting event and you're going to see somebody come on the screen that's anxious and nervous about some medical condition that they have. And then the heroic pharmaceutical company sweeps in with a beautiful pill or prescription of some sort. And there's instant resilience and courage to now face life. We're certainly going to see it in the political season at some point where there's going to be one world-ending problem after another, and only me, your candidate, can solve it and give you back your peace and your resilience. You know, it, it's really resilience for hire. Vote for me. But what happens when we're facing real adversity and what does not kill you makes you stronger isn't going to work? I mean, doesn't PTSD, the post-traumatic stress disorder, doesn't that kind of fly in the face of this saying? Resilience that's built on some hope or trust in something that we can't even define or, or just ourselves, you know, like some halftime speech that's really designed to motivate somebody for a 30-minute game, how is this going to work? And so if we're going to help our kids be resilient We've got to have a better path. We've got to help them with more than slogans. You know, we've got our coffee cup theology as well. 
So I want to start with a few things that I think help us in building resilient kids with a resilient faith. First is our understanding of God. We always get back to this, but the 12th chapter of Luke, which deals with anxiety on many levels of humanity, it's summed up in a verse, in verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Our view of God is critical to keeping the weeds of anxiety and fear out of the garden of the heart of our children. I mean, God created the world in a world of abundance. Our kids need to see God that way. The idea of God being in control, that God being all-powerful, helps understanding because these merchants of fear are constantly coming in and trying to dissect faith and diminish it in order to have us more dependent on them. So that's one of the things we need to hand down is who is God, that he has given us the kingdom. This is a very positive, encouraging view of how to see the world as opposed to fear-mongering that's in our news, it's in our politics, it's in our commerce. The thing we need to fear, according to Proverbs, is fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And what that really means is having a reverence for God and a trusting of God and knowing that the Holy Spirit's involved in our life, that Jesus is beside us, and that God and his angels are looking out for us. And we have a greater attention and trust in that than we do in men. The prophet Isaiah delivers it really straight. It says in chapter 222, stop trusting in man who has but breath in his nostrils of what account is he. Resilience is about having the right understanding of God and the right understanding of man. If you're going to live in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, you've got to understand this is part of your resilience. But there's something about us that, that struggles with this. I'll give you an example. A few years back, there was a product called Slick 50, and it was supposed to make your car get better mileage. And it came out in another one of these uh, crazy times of rising energy prices and gas skyrocketing. And there's a fear that, oh my, look what we got to pay for gas forever. And so this product comes out, oh, you'll get better mileage. And you just poured it into your gas tank when you filled up your gas. Well, the product was proven over and over not to work. In fact, the makers of the cars, Ford, General Motors, Chrysler, and others, told people to stop using it. And yet people swore by it. If you turn on, even today, a show, a car show, and begin talking about things of the past, and you bring up Slick 50, I guarantee you there will be somebody, at least somebody my age, that'll get on and they will tell you, oh yeah, it worked. There's something in us that wants to believe the sales pitches, even when they are baseless. And this is also applies in the issues of resilience. I think one of the, one of the second things that, that I would suggest in helping children see themselves as conquerors and not as victims and having resilience and trusting faith is to make sure that we are introducing our children to the Psalms. Maybe instead of a life verse, you have a life Psalm. In the past, even in most denominations, sang the Psalms or at least incorporated some psalmetry into their worship service. 
whether we do that or not today is hard to say, but I, there is nothing that prevents us from understanding the Psalms. Because in the Psalms, we're going to see an honest assessment of life, how our emotions can get out of whack, even questioning where God is in it, and then bring us back to where he is. Uh, I like Psalm 77, but Psalm 20 does this, Psalm 91, and of course, the 23rd Psalm. But in Psalm 77, you see God in verse 1, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me when I was in distress. The Psalms are realistic. They understand there are times when we're stressed out, when we're emotionally upset. And then in verse 7, when you skip down further, it says, Will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? In this distress and in this emotion, the psalmist also points out, look, there's times where we question, where's God? Is he next to me? These things that I trusted, is, is this real? And we're, we're questioning these things in our mind and asking God about it. And then he says, and then I thought to this, this is what I'm going to appeal to. See, this is what I will trust. The years when the Most High stretched out his right hand, I will remember the deeds of the Lord and I will remember your miracles of long ago, and I will consider all of your works, and I will meditate on your mighty deeds. Resilience is built by remembering God's victories in us. What has God done for us? What has God done in the past? What can we count on God to do then in the future? See, this isn't a slogan. This isn't a denial of reality. This isn't some sort of idol. This is a realistic look at how life is, of how our emotions cause us issues, and ultimately our resilience is built on trust and, and recalling of what God has done. But that's why, you know, we go back and we have confessions and we have creeds and we have the Lord's Supper and we have these things in order to consistently remind us and put out to us what God has done. Now, now obviously, I, I want to make sure that I'm saying that the Lord's table is more than just a memorial of recalling, but there's more to it than that. But it is part of a recall. We, we recall Easter and Christmas and we recall all the things that God did in the Bible but also in our, our life. This is what will give us the resilience to adversity. Recalling that God has forgiven you, recalling that God has restored you, and recalling what God has promised you. This is what resilience must be built on. Ultimately, it's not what doesn't kill me makes me stronger. What makes me stronger is that Jesus was killed for me and rose from the dead and defeated it for me that makes me stronger. The ultimate battle for the heart and soul is a fight for identity. Our King invites our kids to know who they are, what to believe, and where they belong. Until next time, let's remember the words, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven.